0: Hi, Church. Well, I am so excited to be speaking to you this weekend in all of our services, especially because it is Mother's Day weekend and mums, let's face it, we pretty much are superheroes. I mean, I would say that's a pretty accurate term for what we do uh, when we are busy with our children and caring for our families. Uh, and we just want to actually honor all women today and say thank you for all that you do. In fact, guys, if there's a woman in the room with you right now, would you just give her a high five, thank her for all that she does and for who she is. And I actually just want to stop right now and take a moment to pray for all the women that are watching right in this moment. So would you join me? Father, I pray for every woman right now God, young or older who is watching and I pray she would just get a real sense of your love, of your peace, of your comfort, God especially just a sense of how much you love her, how much you value her. Lord, how precious she is to you. God, in those unseen moments, I thank you that you are with us, Lord, that you see every tear that falls. God, I thank you that in the moments we're tired and we're stressed, you are right there beside us, God. I pray, Father, for any women that might be even just perhaps struggling this weekend, God, as sometimes if we're on a journey of infertility or if we've had a loss, Um, you know, of a child or just some kind of traumatic situation. These weekends can bring up some negative emotions. But God, I just pray for those women, Lord, that you would just give them a great sense of comfort, Lord, and uh, just give them a joy uh, as they go through this weekend. But Lord, I pray that all mums everywhere, all women everywhere would know their value today, God. And I pray that they would be spoiled this weekend by the men in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, uh, I'm going to be sharing with you some encouragement for those times in our lives when we fail. Now, all of us fail. Sometimes our failures are small, and sometimes they are monumental. Sometimes they um, can really hold us back. They can cause us to feel a lot of guilt. They can stop us from moving forward in life. And um, they can be things that we can really regret and become ashamed of. But no matter the size of your failures today, I pray that you would get some encouragement by seeing how the Lord responds to us when we do fail. And someone in the Bible who we can look to for some guidance on this issue is Peter. And we're going to be looking at a couple of days surrounding one of his biggest failures in his life and kind of exploring what happens there and seeing how Jesus responds to him and brings him through it. Now, I'm going to be reading through some different Bible verses, especially in this first part. There's quite a lot of text. So for the sake of time, I'm probably going to skip through a lot of things, but I'll make sure that we provide the full verses in the notes. Uh, So bear with me as I kind of retell some of the story of these few days around Peter. Well, first of all, a couple of things we know about Peter is that um, he was one of Jesus' earliest and um, closest disciples. He was a fisherman. He was a leader of the pack. You know, he would be the one that would jump out of the the boat and try and walk on water with Jesus. I mean, he was fiercely loyal and passionate about following Jesus, though he didn't always get it right. And um, let's start with looking at the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 26. This is the story where Jesus is sharing his last meal with his disciples. And it's on the night that he's going to be arrested. And we see Jesus talking to Peter. And Peter is about to make a promise that he will not end up keeping. And so in verse 33, Jesus is talking to Peter. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And so later on in the evening, you know, uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is about to be arrested. And we find Peter jumping up, getting his sword and chopping off the ear of one of the guys who was coming to arrest Jesus. I mean, he is all about defending Jesus. He's wanting to protect him. Uh, And so that's kind of the very next thing that happens. Then we find that Jesus is taken to the high priest's courtyard to be questioned and Peter follows at a distance to the courtyard and he's not allowed inside but Jesus is inside being questioned and he's just outside and we're in John 18 verse 18 and it tells us what's happening. Jesus uh, is inside being questioned and it says now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, remember that charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. So now Peter's by a fire, warming himself. And he's about to be asked three times if he knows Jesus. And uh, we read that account in Matthew 26, 69 to 75. And three times he's approached and said, aren't you the one who knows Jesus? You are with Jesus. I saw you with Jesus. Three times, he denies it. The last last time, the the girl says to him, I can recognize your accent. I know you're one of him, uh, one of his followers. And uh, Peter denies it, swears an oath. And right at that very moment, we hear the sound of a rooster crowing. And then in Luke, we actually find a little bit of tidbit of information of what happens is that we find that at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then in verse 75, Peter remembered the prophecy of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And with a shattered heart, Peter went out of the courtyard, sobbing with bitter tears. Church, this was Peter's worst moment. This was his biggest failure. I mean, can you imagine how he felt? Just minutes earlier or hours earlier, he's defending Jesus. He is saying to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm with you. I'll never desert you. And then here he is just a little while later, completely denying that he even knows Jesus. Why? I mean, fear that he might also encounter the same um, death or persecution that Jesus was about to endure. Maybe he had doubts, like if you're really Jesus, why can't you just set yourself free? But for whatever reason it was, he made his biggest failure. He denied Jesus and he runs off and he's devastated about it. And if you've ever had a really big failure in life, let me tell you, um, we're in good company when uh, we look at the life of Peter. And so Peter runs off and he's devastated. And so next we see, you know, Jesus is crucified. And on the third day, um, we find the women going to the tomb. And in Mark 16, verse 6 to 7, an angel is talking to Mary. And he says, Don't be afraid. I know that you're here looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen victoriously. Look, see the place where they laid him. Run and tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is risen. He has gone ahead of you into Galilee, and you will see him there just like he told you. So, What's happening here is it's the third day, Jesus is risen, the women are at the tomb, and an angel is telling Mary, Hey, tell the disciples to meet Jesus here. But don't forget Peter. He's saying, Tell the disciples and Peter. Why did the angel say that? Well, I think it's because perhaps Jesus knew how devastated Peter was probably feeling. Jesus knew that Peter probably thought he's not even maybe a disciple anymore. Jesus knew that uh, Peter was probably hugely disappointed in himself and um, Jesus just knew that he had made this heartbreaking mistake and so he specifically wanted Peter to know hey I haven't forgotten you you know this isn't over for you I'm including you I still love you and I, I still want you and so we find sort of after that that the disciples are getting a little bit sick of waiting for Jesus to show up. And so Peter decides he's going to go fishing and he's going to he's going to go do what he's comfortable doing. You know, remember, he's a fisherman. He knows how to fish. So while well, he does that, some of the disciples join him and they fish all night long and they don't catch anything, which is interesting because Peter's a fisherman, so he would know where to fish and how to catch fish. But I think that's because Jesus is setting this up somehow. And so we read in John 21, 4 to 6, Um, that Jesus is about to be there, but they don't actually recognize that it's Jesus. So then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. He called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Jesus shouted to them, throw your net on the starboard side and then you'll catch some. And so they did as he said, and they caught so many fish that they couldn't even pull in the net. Now there must have been a familiar sense of, Uh, When they saw that miracle take place, they had seen this happen before. And then we find John yelling out, oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. Well, Peter, hearing that, he jumps up out of the boat into the water and he makes a beeline for the shore. He is swimming for his life. He's seen that Jesus is here. And so uh, he arrives on the shore and the other disciples bring in the fish and the boat. And what we find next is that Jesus is waiting on the shore and he's actually already got a fire going. And he's got some fish and some bread. So he's, he's going to have breakfast with them. And that particular fire um, in the Bible was actually called a charcoal fire. And if you remember earlier, I mentioned uh, the words charcoal fire as well. There's actually only two times in the entire Bible where the words charcoal fire is mentioned. The first is on the night when um, we just heard about where Peter denied that he knew Jesus The second is right here and now. So Jesus is recreating this moment where he's going to meet with Peter and work through this failure in Peter's life. And this fire was kind of this gentle reminder because as soon as Peter got to the shore, you can bet he took one look at that fire and and smelt that charcoal and knew, oh, okay, he's brought back to that, that previous evening where he had denied Jesus. And so Peter sits down with Jesus and they eat. And then after they're done eating, we find that Jesus turns to Peter and begins to talk to him. Now, Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Peter, why did you do that to me? Jesus doesn't get annoyed. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't even really question anything about what happened. He just lets that fire serve as this kind of gentle reminder, like I said. And so three times he asks Peter, do you love me? You know, three times Peter's denied that he knew Jesus. And here we have three times where he's confessing that Jesus is his Lord. And Jesus then begins to talk to Peter about his future. Um, He's reminding him of his calling. And so by this fire, we just have this moment of restoration for Peter. It's not over for him. And you see God in our failures, whether they're big or they're small he's never angry with us he knows that we fail he's never waiting to reprimand us he's not angry he's not uh, wanting to have some space from us he's not wanting to um, leave us he's not looking away in shame he is right there ready and waiting wanting to reach out to us wanting to help us move through it wanting us to know that he still loves us, he's still with us, and he still has great plans for our lives if we will allow him to minister to us and walk us through it. And so that biggest failure in Peter's life actually became a catalyst for propelling him into the future that God had for him. Because sort of right after that, we begin to see Peter then moving into this future of being this monumental person in the New Testament and the early church and doing incredible things for God. And you might have experienced your worst failure, your darkest night, but you know you might also just be right around the corner from God being right about to propel you into your future and into your destiny and um, take you up into the next level of the adventure that he has for your life. But listen, each of us will make mistakes. Each of us will slip up. Each of us will struggle and we'll choose things other than jesus we'll choose things we know that god doesn't want us to do but what can happen in these moments is that we can often question how does god feel about me Um, is he mad with me is he upset with me we can wonder how to move through it when we feel so bad ourselves and so based on the story of peter i'm just going to give us three really quick points to keep in mind when those times in life hit us and we might be struggling to move past a failure Three responses from Jesus when we fail. The first way Jesus responds to us when we fail is that he stays with us. You know, when someone hurts me or gets, or or has upset me or done something against me, the first thing I do is I get upset and I kind of want a bit of space and I want to kind of, you know, walk away and get mad and, and, and have that moment. But that is not what Jesus does. That is not what the Lord does. Not only does he not leave, but he's actively finding ways to continue to reach, reach us and seek us. Uh, we saw Jesus, you know, make sure that Peter got that message through the angel that, hey, you're still included. You're still a part of this. I mean, I just, I love that. Um, and that is what Jesus does. He doesn't leave us. He stays with us. He, ha- he doesn't move when we fail. And in Psalm 145, verse 14, we hear the Lord upholds all who fall and he lifts up all who are bowed down. Did you know what we believe about God, what we believe about his character, what we believe about who he is, can greatly affect how we respond to him, especially in times of failure or dark times or times that are just difficult. Because uh, what happens is that what we believe about God is actually formed in our childhood uh, through the relationships that we have had with our parents. So if you had a really loving um, set of parents, then chances are you have a a fairly okay time believing that God is loving. But if you had a parent that was maybe angry a lot, or if you had a parent that was maybe absent, you might tend to feel as though God is absent, as though God um, is angry with you. So sometimes we can allow our early childhood experiences of of our parents really impact how we feel and how we see God. So it's really important that we understand how God really responds to us and understand more about his character. You know, um, because if we don't get that right, then what can happen in these times of failure is that we can then believe that God is angry with us, that he does want distance from us, and then that can impact the decisions we make from then on. We then might want to choose to pull back. We then might want to choose to sort of get some space because we feel like maybe God's ashamed of us or he's mad at us, so we pull back and then we we disconnect from him. And then we might even be carrying around guilt and shame and condemnation because we don't get that all fixed and squared away with him, uh, which can, can just continue to affect us in such a negative way. But as we've seen how Jesus dealt with Peter, I'm hoping you'll catch this and remember it, that Jesus stays with us. He doesn't abandon us. He's not angry with us. And He is actively working with us to get us through it. The second thing is that He covers us. God's grace is big enough to cover even your biggest failure. And His grace is always available to us. It doesn't run out. It doesn't disappear the more we need to use it. It is always available. You know, health insurance covers our sicknesses. It covers our medical bills, our hospital stays. Um, our medication but there are some sicknesses that we can get that health insurance just won't cover and those are things that we end up having to pay for and sometimes I think we feel like that might be the case with God's grace that maybe there's something I've done that's too big that God surely can't forgive me of that or maybe there's something I've done too many times and my Um, access to God's grace is beginning to run out. And so we might feel like we've got to cover that or we've got to fix it before we can come back to God. Church, let me tell you, God's grace is there and we can boldly ask him for it. And uh, it covers us and it never runs out. Something I used to sort of struggle with a bit earlier as a believer is I could um, understand that God could forgive me of something. But if I continued to struggle with it, and if I couldn't kind of fix it, and I would say, sorry, but but I was a believer. It's like, I should know better. I shouldn't be doing that. But what if I'm still struggling with it? Man, I found that so hard to understand. And I would really hold that against myself and struggle with being able to sort of forgive myself. You know, how many times can God forgive me? Well, yeah, it says a lot, but how much is a lot, you know? Um, and when I was younger, I used to be very black and white. I used to think, well, people just need to get over it. If they've got a sin in their life, they just need to deal with it and just fix it. But what happened was is that God then began to allow me to walk through a period uh, of time where I had a lot of struggles all of a sudden, and no matter what I did, I couldn't get over it. In fact, um, struggles so bad that I really needed the help of other people to get through them. And I began to realize that we can't always just get over things. We can't always just stop things. Um, we need the help of others to walk us through things. We need the help of God to set us free. Um, Because no matter how hard we try, sometimes there's just those issues in our life that we can't fix ourselves. Um, But in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, God tells Paul when he's struggling and weak that my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And you know, I've come to a point nowadays where When I have a weakness, when I have an area that maybe isn't where I want it to be, maybe I've got some negative thoughts or this or that, you know, I've come to realize that it's my weak area. And there are some things God allows in our life to remain weak so that we will remain dependent upon him. And what happens is that um, I've come to kind of just accept that, okay, there's a weak area and I, I still pray and I still ask God to help me through it and help me overcome it. But if that doesn't happen, I don't despair. I know that it's my weak area. It's an area that I just need to trust and believe God's goodness and his grace covers me in. And as I depend on him more, I am drawn more into his presence. And there's actually a quote from a book um, called uh, Jesus Calling. And just this sentence, that says this, my power, and this is God speaking, my power uh, flows most freely into weak ones aware of their need for me. Faltering steps of dependence are not lack of faith. They are links to my presence. See, when I am weak, I am glad because my weakness causes me to depend on him for his strength. And when I depend on him, I am drawn closer to him. The third response from Jesus when we fail in life is that he heals us. You know, Jesus had this moment with Peter where he dealt with the issue right there Uh, on the beach at that fire, in order to help him move past it, in order to help him be propelled forward into the destiny and the future that God had for him. And God wants to do the same thing for you and for I when we fail, when we mess up. He doesn't want us to stay stuck in that failure for years later, still dealing with it. He wants us to be healed and set free and to move forward. And if we don't allow God to come in and do that healing work when we experience these times in our lives, we can just carry guilt and shame around and we can just continue to walk in such uh, negative emotions that really can end up turning into not just negative self-thoughts but but even hatred towards ourselves, which I can attest to because a long time ago, I used to feel like I really hated myself. Um, I felt like I just kept messing things up all the time. I wasn't good enough. I could accept that God could forgive me, but then I felt like I couldn't forgive myself. Uh, And what I found was that there were times in my life where I had just held myself to such a harsh account and I really hadn't dealt with things the right way. And when God showed me that I needed to forgive myself, that I needed to deal with some things, man, let me tell you what happened. I began to experience and feel the love of God and understand God's love and sense him closer than ever before when I stopped holding myself to such a harsh account and judgment, when I forgave myself and when I just gave everything to the Lord. And so I was able to really experience His peace and His joy and His love, which I had never been able to experience in my entire life. And so if there is today, a time where in the near future or whether in the far future, and you fail at something, you make a decision, or you make a mistake, or you mess up, know that Jesus is still with you. He wants to help you. He doesn't leave you. He's actively working on a way to help you through it. Know that his grace covers you, even if it's the millionth time. His grace covers you. And know that he is there ready and waiting and wanting to heal you and to help you walk through it. This story of Peter is so inspiring to me because it just shows the love of God and how much he treasures us and values us and wants to move in our lives and help us walk through things. So when we fail, when we fall, when we stumble, Jesus stays with us, he covers us, and he heals us. Amen.